start by just tell us a little bit about yourself and, and where you're from and, uh, and who you work for. Sure. So I'm the director of radiochemistry at Massachusetts General Hospital and I'm an associate professor at Harvard Medical School. Excellent. Well, um, you did a very interesting talk there and you looked at two things which I thought were quite interesting. One was, um, one was on uh, microfluidics and how that's changed chemistry and the other one was uh, the other aspect I thought that had changed chemistry a lot was how um, CO2 capture basically uh, had changed um, uh, the chemistry in plants. It's basically changed the chemistry we're using in humans. So perhaps you could just briefly explain what those two things are. Sure. So uh, microfluidics has come along way. This is really what's known as lab-on-a-chip chemistry. And uh, about 2005, UCLA made a real breakthrough and published a paper in Science showing that they could make FDG on a chip the size of a penny. And um, since then, companies have come on board to actually commercialize microfluidic apparatus. So one company we partner with is called Advion, and they make a chip which is um, in our hands, it's two meters long tubing. And uh, we flow the liquids through that tube and the labeled product comes out. This is totally different than the conventional type of radiochemistry where we do batch reactor chemistry where instead of being in 5 mils of solvent, milliliters of solvents, we can be in 15 microliters of total solvent volume. So it's really a small volume microfluidic reaction. People were worried before that if we did such reactions, we would end up with radiolysis and uh, other problems and that it wouldn't be practical for human use. So one of the projects we did with a faculty member, Lee Collier, in, uh, in our program who works for Advihan, is uh, actually make a radio pharmaceutical on um, one of these uh, microfluidic chips and inject it into a human subject. It was actually a tau tracer, which is getting a lot of press here. Oh, which tau tracer? It's called the AV1451. Oh, yeah, four, absolutely. Four yeah, okay, yeah. you made it that way. Fantastic, yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah, we've done a lot of scans that way. Oh, okay, so yeah. you made the whole chip, oh, that whole tracer on the chip. Correct. And um, that just, it was more for proof of concept to show we can do that. Other advantages of the lab on a chip chemistry that we find are that we can, it's a very high throughput approach, meaning we can optimize radiochemical reactions. I mean, you can do about 30 reactions in the morning, opposed to doing one dry down of fluoride per reaction. Right. And uh, it's also very good, we find, for even preclinical use too. So it's, it's been... It's, it's been a workhorse right. in our lab. Has it enabled you to do chemistry you otherwise couldn't do? Um, in some cases you can, yeah. Because you do get different reaction kinetics. You get different um, rate, yeah, rates of reactions. You get uh, ease of automation. Lots of advantages of flow chemistry, which is what this is, versus batch reactor chemistry. Right, right. Yeah. right. And in fact, you showed some, one example of that where a chemical reaction occurred, which really doesn't occur in any other way. Yeah, so some of the reactions where they're low yielding, we can get high radiochemical yields using microfluidics. Excellent. The other one we talked about was, was how plant chemistry has influenced uh, radiochemistry in some ways, in terms of CO2. Yeah, so this whole green chemistry has uh, changed the field because people are focusing on finding these fixating bases which trap CO2 from the environment. And since when uh, we work with our cyclotron, 99% of our reactions with carbon-11 are methyl methylations, usually using methyl iodide or methyl triflate. In this case, 
in those cases, we start with carbon dioxide. So we thought, rather than converting carbon dioxide to, meth to a methylating agent, why don't we see if we can just use it straight out of the cyclotron? So we and other labs have been focusing heavily on labeling carbonyl groups by trapping CO2 uh, directly and using it for reactions. And it's been incredibly efficient. Uh, we had a chat with AstraZeneca's um, central nervous system uh, uh, group, and they screened their CNS database for neuroimaging. They found about 17% of their compounds could be methylated, but I think the number was around 75% could be labeled by carbonylation if you labeled the carbonyl group. So it opens up the door drastically. Right, because that often, because the methyl really needs to be on the end of the molecule, right? So, Correct. So, so this can be in the middle of the molecule, and that enables fluorine chemistry to be done as well in some ways. Absolutely, because now it's a library approach, meaning we can we make a lot of ureas, unsymmetrical ureas, carbamates, and things that drug companies use for combinatorial chemistry. So now we can take fluorinated amines or fluorinated phenols or different reagents and make them with carbon. 11, see if they work in vivo by using one standard method, and if we get a lead that works, then we can work on making optimizing it for fluorination. But uh, we can test all the fluorinated compounds by labeling with carbon 11. Oh, that's brilliant. Right. Yeah, it's been fun. Yeah, <laughs> thank, oh, you. thank you very much for speaking to us. Thank you for all your support, and a okay. uh, uh, pleasure to meet with you today. Great, yeah. Thanks thank again. You. Cheers.